0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Hello, welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Scaletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 ABA Annual Meeting in San Francisco, the Paris of the West. And joining me today, I have a guest that's uh, right out of his session. His name is Justin Miller. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So you just got done presenting, and I believe the name changed. It was four big. Now it's five big cash flow mistakes to avoid in divorce. And as I understand it, it is sponsored
0: by the ABA section of family law. Do I have it correct so far? You do have it. We wanted to give everyone their money's worth. So we added an additional mistake just to uh, make everyone make the time worthwhile. (laughs) Bonus, extra extra bonus. Okay. Well, before we get into it, Justin, uh, you know, for our listeners that don't know you or are not familiar with, uh, with your work, where do you work? What do you do? Uh, So, once again, Justin Miller. I'm a national wealth strategist at BNY Mellon. Uh, I work with uh, our clients and their outside advisors, attorneys, CPAs. I'm also a fellow of the American College of Trust and Estate Council, ACTEC. Uh, I'm also an adjunct professor uh, locally here at uh, Golden Gate University School of Law.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And so just to get us caught up to speed, you know, uh, family law is not an area that I practiced in. I uh, I I did stay at a holiday inn, so I feel like I can ask some questions in that, but mostly because I have friends that have practiced in this space. But uh, just so everyone's on the same page, the 50,000 foot, just sort of general synopsis. How did you transition? How did this presentation work?
0: So uh, one of the the roles that I'm in and that uh, BNY Mellon also focuses on is uh, working with family law attorneys around the country. So family law itself is very state-specific, but when it comes to tax issues, financial planning issues, really you need to focus on some of the federal tax consequences, let alone state tax consequences. And really it's about how can you help family law attorneys? What is it that sometimes will help them settle a case or help them get through mediation? Or if it doesn't settle, what's going to help them through the litigation? And that's really the focus. What's nice about BNY Mellon, we have a national practice group that is solely dedicated to working with family law attorneys and their clients. All right. So now we're ready for the, uh, the five, the five biggest mistakes. So let's start with number one. All right. So number one, really, and I'll start even with the genesis of these mistakes, is that one thing that you need to do whenever uh, spouses are going through the marital dissolution or divorce process is that uh, they've got to do a cash flow analysis. Now, certainly part of divorce is really three main steps. You identify assets, you value them, and then you divide them. And you certainly need sometimes valuation experts, a forensic accountant. But the question that clients really need help with is, with the settlement or the final resolution, and that is, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough to not just last them one or two years after the divorce is finalized, but will it be enough to last them the rest of their lives, 10, 20, 30 or more years later? And so in order to determine that, you've got to do a cash flow analysis. But not all cash flow analyses are considered the same. Some are good, some are bad. So there are five main mistakes we see, and you ask for number one. The first big mistake we see is not paying attention to the liquidity of the investable assets and paying attention to the volatility. That is the fact that these assets go up and down in value. And what I mean by that is most people have certain expenses that they're going to have to pay this year, next year, and future years. And the question is for mistake number one, are they going to have access to the cash when they need it. Those expenses happen every year, and if you're locked up in certain types of investments, especially in high net worth divorces, where you have a residence that might be worth millions or private equity investments that don't have the ability to get in or out quickly, the question is, are you going to be able to make and meet those expenses? And what happens if you're in a bad economic environment where values go down? So mistake number one, not paying attention to liquidity and volatility. All right, mistake number two. All right, mistake number two is paying attention to long-term needs. Oftentimes we see people going through a cash flow analysis and they only focus on you know what's going to happen right after the divorce is final. And don't get me wrong, that is absolutely important. That is absolutely important. But the question is, is the portfolio and investments that you have after that divorce is final, is that going to be enough to last you the next 20, 30 or more years? This is where we see a lot of people in sort of fixed income portfolios, bonds, where they're really just focused on getting income, whether it's from dividends or whether it's just from interest payments. And while that might be good for one or two years, the question is, do you have the ability to get growth in that portfolio? And it might be a matter of taking on a little bit more risk but are you really going to have funds that are left in your account to meet your expenses and your goals and objectives down the road? Once again, way in the future, if all you're focused on is income in the portfolio, and I'll give you one example, and that would be, let's say you have a bond portfolio now, and let's say a bond for $1,000 gives you 4% interest, but let's say interest rates do go up. Interest rates do go up, and in a couple years, you can get a bond for $1,000 that pays 5% interest. The reality is it means your bond portfolio is no longer worth as much. The value of your bonds have gone down. In fact, if it's a mutual fund, you might actually lose value even for a bond mutual fund just because interest rates have gone down or if interest rates go up existing bond values will go down. So not only is it important to have income, and that is absolutely still important, but you've got to pay attention to growth if you're thinking about the long term. All right. I think I'm ready for it. I'm getting pretty excited. (laughs) So three, the third. Number three. Number three biggest mistake we see, especially in the family law context, is focusing and paying attention to inflation. Now, I know we haven't had a lot of inflation recently, but the reality is inflation is there and you have to take it into account um, in not only inflation, but the fact that different expenses have different inflation adjustments. For instance, the price of milk might adjust, adjust differently in the future versus, let's say, healthcare that might need an even steeper inflation adjustment. And the reason it's so important in a family law context is that in general, for family law purposes, you do not pay attention to inflation. The reason why is for support payments like spousal support or child support, you get the same dollar amount every single year. It would be too complicated to go back to the drawing board every single year and adjust it for inflation and in different amounts. So that's why it's a set amount. That's what it is under most state law. But the reality is, if you look at your living expenses year after year, if you're living on 200 grand now and that's sufficient... 10, 20 years from now, that might not be enough. And so if we're really gonna do an accurate cash flow analysis, we have to take inflation into account. All right, and four. Oh, mistake number four. This is the one I'm probably most passionate about. I'm a tax attorney by background, and that is taxes paying attention to taxes. This is the single biggest mistake we see when it comes to cash flow analysis, when it comes to family law. The one thing that's usually uh, assumed in a family law context is that unless you're planning on selling something as part of the divorce or immediately after the divorce, you don't really pay attention to the embedded capital gains. The fact that when you sell that asset, there will be taxes involved in that. And from a financial planning, a cash flow analysis perspective, you got to take into account taxes and not only about selling assets but just the returns that you're going to get year over year what's not important or I should say what's more important than the investment return is your after tax investment return. Meaning for a lot of our clients, it doesn't matter whether they get a 7.1 or a 7.2% investment return. What's more important is what is their return after taxes? So if you have an advisor, an investment manager who's churning a portfolio, generating ordinary income from uh, corporate bonds, maybe they're doing short-term trading, which is uh, short-term gains as ordinary income. They're not harvesting losses. They don't have a tax managed equity Portfolio, those taxes can really eat into a portfolio. And most investment managers are simply happy to just show you what the returns are. They don't tell you what the after tax hit is going to be. It might show up on the tax returns and the accountants might get the 1099s and the partnership K1s. But when it really comes down to it, if you want to do a, a true cash flow analysis that will really be in the best interest of a client, especially in a divorce, you've got to pay attention to the potential tax taxes from embedded capital gains, how you time sales of assets, and then in the ongoing management, you've got to be tax sensitive.
1: Well, that kind of ruins the uh, saying to me, there's uh, two certainties in life, death and taxes. doesn't sound like taxes are a certain thing all the time.
0: Well, they, taxes are a certain thing, unfortunately, but the reality is the the number of financial managers and investment managers that pay attention to it that is not certain. In fact, we did a study at BNY Mellon, a three-year study. We looked at 2,700 statements over a three-year period representing 8.76 billion, with a B, billion dollars in assets. And what we found from that study is looking at other investment managers, simply looking at their portfolios where they were managing the actual um, statements, and what we found is 75 percent of investment managers don't pay attention to taxes. That is three out of four investment managers did no tax management. It's a really scary thing.
1: Wow, wow. All right, so we're getting uh, a little bit short on time, and I wanna make sure we have enough time for my two
0: last substance questions, so number five. Number five, Uh, we can go quickly over this one, and every family law attorney, everyone that's ever been through a divorce is familiar with this, and the fifth mistake is not paying attention to spending to spending. It might be this great settlement. You might come through mediation. Maybe it goes to litigation. But ultimately, once you get those assets, once you have that portfolio, you've got to be sensitive from a cash flow perspective. What are you actually buying? What do you actually need the money for? And we've got to pay attention to ultimate goals and objectives. And that means if you have a big purchase you want to make and you make it early on in the process, that can have a very long-term negative effect, especially from a compounding perspective on your portfolio that let's say a big purchase right off the bat after divorce that we need to focus on can you really afford that and it might be a matter analyzing it of do you want or should you make that purchase now versus later or even should you be more strategic and potentially let's say for buying a second residence or something like that use a mortgage or use debt strategically for your advantage
1: all right. So my last two questions—they're related—and uh, this comes out of my many conversations with some of my my friend attorneys that uh, practice in family law. And so I think one of my, my takeaway, anyway, is that uh, one of the challenges with family law is not knowing what you don't know, and so meaning you don't know enough about your client, their situation, and so you need to ask some questions. And so uh, two basically related questions: You know, you're a new client, you're going in, you're having a divorce. Unfortunately, you know, talk with your attorney. What questions do you need to be asking your attorney?
0: Uh, so, so a couple questions, Well, I mean, I'm not gonna get into the family law aspects of it. There's a lot of questions you need to talk about with your attorney when it comes to family law. Um, maybe one of the first ones is, are they a member of the ABA family law section? Uh, that's important. That means they're uh, not only part of a wonderful national group of great attorneys, but they're focused on continuing education. So the ABA family law section would be an important thing to consider. Um, the other organization that is absolutely fantastic is AAML, American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, members of the academy. It is very, very difficult to become a member of that group. And so those are some of the best family law attorneys out there, both ABA family law section and the AAML, but part of the process with a good family law attorney is that no family law attorney knows everything. They understand family law for sure, but it's all the related aspects. And that means, are they partnering with other fantastic advisors? And that means CPAs or other tax advisors, valuation experts, um, wealth managers, people that can really help you as part of that divorce process. Are they trying to do it all themselves? Are they shielding you from other advisors that really should be part of a collaborative team? Because I'll tell you, the very best family law attorneys work as part of a collaborative team with other advisors, and they make sure to introduce their clients to that group, that team of advisors early on in the process. All right. And just real
1: quick, you're an attorney, you got a client that comes in, they're getting a divorce. What are the questions you should be asking
0: them? Um, you know, if you mean, if a client comes into our office, so, you know, over at BNY Mellon, we are a wealth manager. And so we take a complete comprehensive financial picture. And we've had situations, if you're getting a divorce, first thing we want to do is get you in front of a good family law attorney. That's going to be number one. But where you really want to know in choosing a good wealth manager, whether it's part of a divorce or for Any reason, uh, I'll give you two questions to ask. And that first one is you should ask whether they are a fiduciary. Only a small portion of investment managers are subject to what's called a fiduciary standard, meaning they are required by law to look out for your best interests. Many other advisors are subject to what's called a suitability standard. And that means they do not have to look out for your best interest. They can have two investment options, knowing one is better for you, but option B, let's say, pays them more more money that they know is worse for you. A lot of investment managers that are not fiduciaries, they can take option B, put you into it. It pays them more. It gives you a worse return. They don't even have to tell you. So the first question to ask is, are you a fiduciary? The second question to ask is, frankly, how are you paid? A fiduciary was happy to tell you how they're paid. Often it's a percentage of fees under management. The more you invest with them, generally the fee goes down. And the fee should be fully disclosed. There shouldn't be anything hidden, but find out how they're paid. Cause the reality is a lot of people are paid to push you into products. They push you into products that pay them more sometimes that they develop. And that's not a good relationship. If you're the client, you really want someone that's looking out for your best interest and gets paid to help you not to help themselves. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode here, but
1: I want to thank our guest, Justin Miller for joining us. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and if our listeners, you know, they they heard uh, what you said today, but they want to follow up, they want to uh, learn more, how can they find you?
0: Uh, well, the easiest thing is if uh, you're anywhere in any of the major cities around the country, uh, feel free to go into any or call any local BNY Mellon Wealth Management Office. If you want to reach me personally, I'll share my email address. It's Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, dot Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, and at, it's at Justin.Miller at BNYMellon.com, so B-N-Y as in Bank New York, and then Mellon is M-E-L-L-O-N.com. Great, then. Thank you so much. All
1: right. Thank you. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate, review us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti, signing off from the ABA Annual Meeting in San Francisco, California. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com